0: Let me say good morning and happy Sabbath to everyone. I'm thankful to God for another opportunity that we can come together to study together, amen? There are many beautiful things that the Lord wants to share with all of us. And the key thing that you want to keep praying about, brothers and sisters, is that you want to ask God, Lord, give me ears to hear. And that's the key thing. I believe that we are living in a time where it's not necessary to hear such new and startling messages, but we're living in a time that we simply live up to the light of the messages we already have. God is having a struggle with his people. He has given to us so much light. But the problem is, is that when we look at our lives, many of us can see, if perhaps not all of us, can see that we are not living up to the light that we already received. And yet we come to meetings because we're looking for more light. And God is saying to us, listen, if you can learn first things first, if you can learn to practice that which you already know, God says then our minds and our hearts are now in a position that we can receive more because even God believes in making proper investments. God knows that he wants to give truth to his people and he wants to give it in great abundance. But what is the point? Brothers and sisters, don't ever forget this. The truth that was designed to save us, if we are not careful, can be the same truth that can condemn us. And this is why the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Jesus does not want to save and cannot save anybody in sin. The Bible makes it clear he can only save us from sin. And this is why we're coming together to press together to study so that we may understand what is thus saith the Lord. And so you'll find that many of the things that I'm going to share with you by the grace of God are simply going to be heavenly reminders. It's not my desire to try to give you something brand new and startling per se, but what I want to do is present the gravity of the importance of embracing that which God has already given to us. And I believe that if we can do that, brothers and sisters, we can truly be prepared to receive higher light, better light, greater light, and ultimately be able to see the one who is light. That is none other than Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare to go into our message this morning, I want to once again approach the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to kneel. And once again, I'll invite you. If you are able to, you're welcome to join with me and kneel. If you cannot, then just please reverently bow your heads where you are. But let us approach the Lord in prayer at this time as we study together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege and the opportunity of prayer. You have told us that prayer is communication with God as one talks with a friend. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you because Jesus made it clear as he offered his friendship unto us. For he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that when a man lays down his life for his friends. And so, Father, we come because we want to reciprocate that love and we want to lay down our lives before thee. We truly, dear God, want to behold Jesus. Our desire is that we may cooperate with him as he does his final work in the plan of salvation in the heavenly sanctuary. And so may you speak to our hearts in a very marked manner. May you do as your son David prayed so long ago and may you open our eyes help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Father, I ask that you'd please forgive us of our sins, cleanse us, dear God, from all unrighteousness, and teach us once again how to be holy and help us to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for we trust that by beholding him, we shall become changed into the same image. And I pray, dear God, start with my own heart, for I give myself to you afresh, and I pray, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. May the words that shall be spoken today first meet my own heart's need. And then I pray that it may touch the hearts of my brothers and my sisters. And may we be one in Jesus. For this is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, we approach the word of God to understand a little bit about time. And I'm grateful for the privilege to study time. There's much to say about prophecy. There's much to say about things that are taking place in this world. And I knew there was no way that I could package everything that I wanted to share with you in one presentation. But I wanted to just bring us up to the point that we can see that in the midst of this economic crisis, in the midst of all these calamities that is sweeping this world by a storm, brothers and sisters. This is God's way of letting us know what's getting ready to come next. And we saw clear as day that all of these things are leading to something. It is leading to the last act in the drama. And that last act in the drama is none other than a passing of a national Sunday law. And we saw the ramifications of the very fact that when a Sunday law is passed, that test is going to come so hard to God's people as well as to the world that, brothers and sisters, we saw last night that even a great majority of our own people are going to turn away from God's truth. We're going to see a large class of those who are professing faith in the third angel's message, and these same individuals will find themselves turning away from Jesus, the one whom they have professed to love and adore. We're told that many a star that we have admired for their brilliancy will go out in darkness. Brothers and sisters, if ever there was a time to take your eyes off of man... It is now. You do not want to fix your eyes on quote-unquote Seventh-day Adventist celebrities. You don't want to go ahead and start getting caught up in speakers and evangelists and preachers and teachers because, brothers and sisters, we are already seeing stars going out. And I believe that we haven't seen anything yet. We have to take our eyes off of men and fix our eyes on the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we saw last night that understanding time helps us know what to do. And that's the key, is that we understand what to do. We saw that we need to awake to righteousness. Is that right? And we saw, brothers and sisters, that one of the key things I want you to understand, if I could put in one verse what the principle of righteousness by faith is all about, I would put it in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, I want you to turn your Bibles with me there. If I could just put righteousness by faith... In one verse, I would put it in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And you'll find that in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the Bible tells us something about righteousness by faith that is an eternal principle. And once we can understand this, I believe that we are going to better understand the things that I'm about to present to you throughout the remainder of our time together over these next few days. The Bible says in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and if you're there, please say amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it says this, and I want you to listen carefully to what the Word of God is saying. It says by what? By faith. It says by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, what did he do? He moved with fear. That's an action word. Is that right? It says he moved with fear, prepared an ark, To the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of what? The righteousness which is by faith. The Bible makes it clear that righteousness by faith is not something that God does it all and man does nothing. That's fanaticism. Righteousness by faith is not that man does it all and then he approaches God and asks for help when he needs it. That's fanaticism. Righteousness by faith, brothers and sisters, has ever been and always will be cooperation between humanity and divinity. Divinity gives all of the resources, all of the powers, all of the strengths, everything that individuals need. You and I must exercise the will and let God work in our lives for his glory. And so it is that when we talk about understanding time and knowing what to do, we're not talking about doing something to make yourself right. There's nothing you and I can do to make ourselves right. But the one thing I do know is this. Yours, your doings and my doings can testify of that which is right already within my heart. This is why a man cannot be saved by works, but he can definitely be judged by them. Man cannot work his way into the favor of God, heaven forbid. But a man's works testifies if God is in the heart. And this is why every time Story of Redemption says that Noah put that hammer to the ark, Ellen White says it was a sermon He showed by his works that he believed and trusted God. He looked like a fool to the outside world. It never rained before. And here goes this brother building a boat, getting ready for some serious rain. He looked odd, singular, and straight-laced. And the reason why I choose those three turns is because we're told in inspiration that every single one of God's true faithful soldiers in these last days, by the world, and perhaps even by many in the church, will be looked upon as odd singular, and straight-laced. A fanatic is somebody who goes above what the Word of God says. A fanatic can be someone who consistently falls short of what the Word of God says, but a fanatic is never somebody who does exactly what God says. That's a faithful child of God. That's not a fanatic. But do you know how few there are who live by every word? that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Very few. And so, brothers and sisters, what Jesus is saying is that we must live by his word. And we discovered last night that time is almost finished. And the question is, do you and I reflect the lovely image of Jesus as we should? You know that's our work? Let me show you. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10, you will find that that's the great mystery of God. That that is that wonderful mystery of God that the Lord wants to do in yours and my heart. He wants to reflect that lovely image of Jesus in us. He wants us to be a bunch of little Jesuses walking all throughout this world. Not people talking about Christ, but people reflecting Christ. Big difference. The Bible says in Revelation, the 10th chapter, it says in verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, it says the mystery of God should be what? It says, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. There's a wonderful mystery of God that the Lord wants to finish. And though, brothers and sisters, we can see several applications, I want to show you a very chief application that the mystery of God must be finished in you and I. Go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, we find a mystery of God that must be finished in you and I, and I wonder what that mystery is. The Bible says in Colossians, the first chapter... And when you get there, please say amen. Amen. In Colossians chapter 1, you will find that there is a wonderful mystery that God wants to finish. We need to finish the work, and there's a work that must be done. And we saw last night, this work, brothers and sisters, you don't want to wait until a Sunday law test comes to you to get this work finished. You do not want to wait until the test comes. It's the final test. And like any other test on earth, when a final is coming, you have to already be prepared for it. Is that right? And so it is that we must be prepared when the final test comes of this Sunday law test. What is this great work that God wants to do in us? It's in Colossians, the first chapter. In Colossians chapter 1, notice what the Bible says as we look at verse 25. It says, Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the what? Mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. What is this mystery? Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and read that mystery with me in the last sentence, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's that great mystery that God wants to finish so desperately in you and I is that we might reflect the image of Jesus in everything that we say and do. And the only way that we can do this is we must understand the way. We saw last night that in Psalm 77 and verse 13, thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. Now, where is Jesus in the sanctuary? He's in that most holy place. What's he doing? He's interceding. Was he interceding in the holy place? Yes. Yes, he was. So there has to be more in the most holy place, right? So what is he doing in the most holy place? You sound like the mixed multitude. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we should be clear on it. Great Controversy, page 488, says that the subject of the sanctuary in connection with the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. It says we should be clearly understood. And then it says that we must understand two things, his position and his work. And it says, otherwise, if we don't understand his position and his work, it would be impossible for us to exercise the faith that is necessary or to occupy the position that God has designed for us to fill. That sounds almost salvific to me. God wants us to be so acquainted with understanding not only his position, which is in the most holy place, but his work, which is a work of judgment as he is getting ready to blot out the sins of God's people. To cleanse the sanctuary. Now, brothers and sisters, while Jesus is in heaven doing that, you know, one day I did this little line upon line, and as I did this line upon line research, I found something. You see how in Great Controversy 488 it says, "As the subject of the sanctuary, in connection with the investigative judgment, should be clearly understood by the people of God." Do you know that I did a subject of the sanctuary research in my little Ellen White CD? and I, when I did that, I found another quotation in Great Controversy 423. Now, in Great Controversy, page 423, there's something that's stated there that I actually found that blew my mind. In Great Controversy, 488, it says that we must understand the position and work of our great high priest. But when you look at Great Controversy, page 423, it says the subject of the sanctuary was the key which unlocked the mystery of 1844. And then it said that it brought to light and to view the position and work of God's people. And I said to myself, that's interesting. There is not just a position and work of our great high priest, but literally co-mingling with that position and work of the great high priest, there was supposed to be a position and work of God's people. In other words, those who are best going to experience that which Christ wants us to experience while he is in the most holy place are those who are in their position doing their work while God is in his position doing his work. And do you know how many Seventh-day Adventists have no idea what our position and our work is? You go to the average Seventh-day Adventist and you ask them questions like, first of all, where's Jesus? And many of them say, well, I guess he's here, there, and everywhere, and they don't even know the answer to that. And that's why I showed you last night, our church, our, us as a people, we are in a crisis. It's not just the world. You will always understand prophecy, brothers and sisters, best when you see it through what's happening in the church. Because all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. When we see what happened with the children of Israel as they left Egypt on their way to Jordan, brothers and sisters, you can just smack, Seven day Advent right there. And what we see the children of Israel going through, we can see that happening amongst our people, hook, line, and sinker. And God wants us to understand what we should be doing right now in cooperation with our high priest in that most holy place. And do you know what God's people are supposed to be doing right now? Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, you will find exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Do you know, brothers and sisters, I'm going to show you the lifestyle of the seven day Adventist in four steps. There are four things that is literally supposed to conduct the lifestyle of seven day Adventists right now. And brothers and sisters, you are about to see that what I'm going to show you, brothers and sisters, this is so imperative that you will see that it can affect your salvation if you don't do it. It's that serious to God. We must cooperate with him in this final work. I want you to see how the Bible brings it out in Leviticus 23. You are about to see the position and work of Israel while the high priest was in his position and his work. In that most holy place. The Bible says in Leviticus 23 and verse 27. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in Leviticus 23 and verse 27, it says very clearly, also on the 10th day of this seventh month, there shall be what? A day of atonement. Are we living in the antitypical day of atonement right now? Yes. Amen. So therefore, what you see happening here in the type, we must understand it in its antitype. Notice what the Bible says. It says, it shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Now watch this in verse 29, for whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a what? Sabbath of rest. And ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month. At even from even shall ye celebrate your Sabbaths. You just read your lifestyle. There are four things that Seventh-day Adventist Christians should be doing right now. The four things are, number one, you and I are supposed to be having a holy convocation. Number two, you and I are supposed to be afflicting our souls. Number three, you and I, believe it or not, even in 2011, we are supposed to be offering an offering made by fire. And you know what? You and I are not supposed to be working. That was the fourth instruction. Do no work. Those are the four instructions that God gave. Now, the children of Israel did all of this in one day. We should have been doing all of this since 1844, which is 167 years. And so it is, brothers and sisters, that for the rest of the time that I will be privileged to study with you, we are going to go over those four steps and we're going to make it 2011 applicable. We're going to find out, how can I today have a holy convocation? How can I today afflict my soul? How can I today offer an offering made by fire? And how am I supposed to apply today to do no work? Are you telling me I'm not supposed to have a job? Are you telling me that I have to sell my business? Are you telling me that I'm not supposed to be doing any manual labor? We will find out shortly. And brothers and sisters, you saw what the word of God said. The Bible says that if we were not doing these things, that we'd be cut off. Do you think God is serious? I think the Lord is very serious. And so the first thing that we want to do is we want to investigate holy convocation. That's our study for this morning. Holy convocation. How can we apply today holy convocation? Now, the first thing that we should do is, number one, make a definition of terms. If we can make a definition of terms, then that would make it easier for us to know how to apply the term. So therefore, the Bible says holy convocation. So let's break up the words for a second and let's focus on holy. What does it mean to be holy? Now, if we study the word holy and just simply looking at it from its original language, as I heard many of us say, holy would mean to set apart, a separateness, or putting away, or separating for holy purposes or for godly purposes. But let me give you a biblical definition along with it. Go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, if we wanted to find out what holy represents, I believe that 1 Peter chapter 1 can make it so plain to our hearts that by the grace of God, we cannot miss it. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1. When you get there, please say amen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're investigating this term holy. What does it mean when we talk about something being holy? The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, but as he which hath called you is what? Now, who called us? God. You can't help but to see that in 1 Peter 2, 9. But now watch this. It says, but as he which hath called you is holy, it says, so be ye holy in how many things? In all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy for I am what? Holy. So therefore, if we were to go ahead and simply try to define the term holy, we would say that to be holy is to be like God. If we were to simply, if we wanted to just simplify it, we would say that to be holy is to be like God. Now, if we were to look at convocation, what does the word convocation mean? It means a gathering or an assembling. We'll talk about that in just a little bit further. Now, when it talks about a gathering or an assembling, here's one of the principles that God says was supposed to cover the life of those who named the name of the remnant. God was saying that he wants us as his people to make sure that in our various forms of gatherings, that we are to make sure that the great purpose of the gathering is how we can best exercise Godlikeness, holiness promoting, encouraging, and exhorting one another to be more like God. That was the purpose of holy convocations. You know this is a holy convocation? When we talk about SWYC Southwest Youth Conference, we're talking about a holy convocation. Is that right? Now, one of the things you will find that was done in holy convocations, remember, the purpose of holy convocations was that the people would come together, gather together to strengthen one another so that we can help each other be more like God. That was the focus. Now, the reason why I bring that point out is I want you to look at something here. I want you to consider this quotation. I want you to see what it says. It says, Anciently, The Lord instructed his people uh, to assemble three times a year for his worship. It says, to these holy convocations, the children of Israel came, bringing to the house of God their tithes, their sin offerings, and their offerings of gratitude. Now, I want you to look at what were the things that were to govern the conversation and the mindset of God's people. And I want to see how can we apply this to our several types of gatherings today. Notice what it says. Number one, they were, they met to do what? recount God's mercies. So therefore, they went to recount God's mercies. In other words, when they would talk to each other, instead of them talking about things that were useless, instead of talking about things that were idle, instead of talking about things that were not profitable, what they would do is focus their conversation on speaking about things that was a recounting of God's wonderful mercies. In addition to that, it says to make known his wonderful works. I want you to imagine that you had conversations with brothers and sisters. And it's amazing to me because this is Sabbath, is it not? You know, it's so often funny how we can, you know, we can come together for meetings like this and we can come together to try to have deep, deep study. And so that we can go deeper in the word of God. But if I were to say to you a proof text of Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, how many of you know what that text is talking about just by me mentioning it? If I just say Isaiah 58:13 and 14, a few of us already know what that text is talking about. It's talking about how God wanted us to keep the Sabbath, keeping thy foot from profaning the Sabbath, speaking thine own words and all these other things. How many of you remember that? Now, it's amazing, brothers and sisters, how do you know that even on the Lord's Sabbath day, just a 24 hour period, we find it so difficult to just simply focus on recounting God's mercies and making known his wonderful works. We cannot help but to talk to girlfriends and say, girl, where'd you get your hair done? Girl, I love the way those shoes look. Where'd you buy them? The brothers come together and they say, man, did you see the game last week? Or man, did you see what happened in such and such a place at such and such a time? And it seems as if even on the Lord's Sabbath day, we struggle so hard just simply trying to keep our conversations on Jesus. And yet... We talk about when we all get to heaven. Brothers and sisters, if we can't learn to keep our minds stayed upon thee in a 24-hour period, why would God punish us and put us in an eternity to keep our minds stayed on him? God was trying to teach us through the Sabbath of what you and I are supposed to be every day so that when Christ comes, we can be that throughout eternity. And so it is that in the Holy Convocation, they would recount God's mercies, they would make known his wonderful works, they would also offer praise and thanksgiving to his name. This was the focus of God's people during Holy Convocations. It says, and they were to unite in the sacrificial service which pointed to Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. All of these things were the things that were supposed to be high on the mind of God's people when they came together for their holy convocations, for their various gatherings. Now, the reason why I bring this up to you is the question is this. What was this supposed to do? The Bible says in Isaiah 26 in verse 3 that thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose what? Mind is stayed on thee. Do you think we need peace right now? Do you think that there's enough going on in this world that can cause individuals to be filled with, as we saw last night, perplexity? God wants to give us peace that passes all understanding, but the only way that can come is when we keep our minds stayed upon him. And one of the methodologies that God gave to you and I is that he said you must understand that you're living in a time that in your gatherings you must keep the focus. One of the great challenges of God's people today is that we are consistently losing our focus. We find ourselves talking and dialoguing and participating and doing all sorts of things that takes the mind off of Jesus rather than maintains the mind on Christ. Now, I wonder what was the whole purpose of God in in us having these type of gatherings and having all these type of conversations. Notice what inspiration says. It says, thus. They were to be preserved from the corrupting power of worldliness and idolatry. God knew that if I can get my people to consistently focus on recounting my mercies, if I can get my people to consistently focus on making known my wonderful works, if I can get my people to consistently offer praise and thanksgiving unto my name, if I can get my people to unite in rejoicing off of the wonderful sacrifice of that wonderful Lamb of God that took away not just the sins of the world, but he took away my sins, even mine. If that could be the focus, you know what it would do? It would preserve us from getting caught up in the corrupting power of worldliness and idolatry. It says faith and love and gratitude were to be kept alive in the hearts and through their association together in this sacred service, they were to be bound closer to God and to one another. This was God's mission in volume testimony 6T, page 39. God wanted us to see that this is how he was going to preserve us because are God's people being affected by worldliness right now? Are God's people consistently falling into the trap and the sin of idolatry right now? God says one of the reasons why is because we lost the principle of holy convocation. God says if we would have understood that this was to govern our conversation in all things, brothers and sisters. In fact, go to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, you will find how God was to bring this principle out to you and I. And do you know that if we could get this principle good here, you can carry it forward at the workplace? You could carry it forward in your leisure activities. You can carry it forward in all of the different types of gatherings that you and I have today. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, if you're there, please say amen. In Philippians chapter 4, the Bible brings it out so clear that we don't have to miss it. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are what? True. Whatsoever things are? Honest, Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what does the Bible say we should do? Think on these things. Now, the reason Christ gave us this instruction is because he understood Proverbs 23 and verse 7, where the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart or his mind, so is He. If you and I would understand that if we could recount God's mercies, talk of his wonderful works, offer praise and thanksgiving, unite in the wonderful things that God has done for us through that wonderful Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, it would preserve us from worldliness and idolatry, and it would unite us in faith and love and draw us closer to God and to one another. Now, the, be- the blessing that comes through this is that it would begin to have an effect not just in this type of gathering, but it would begin to trickle down into other gatherings. We have jobs, don't we? We have businesses, don't we? Do you think God has laid down his rule because we're at a job or at a business location? No, brothers and sisters, when you and I are at our business locations and when we are at our jobs, we are to be like Daniel's and Joseph's. We are not going to our job just to collect a paycheck. If the problem that God had with you and I was the lack of cash, all he would do is send us to the nearest stream, help us grab a fish, and there'd be some money inside of it waiting for us. God does not have an issue with providing us money when God gave you a job. When God gave you a business, he gave it to you and I so that we can let that job and that business become a sanctuary upon which we, the light of God, can make known his wonderful works and men and women would see the goodness of God and glorify our Father in heaven. Your job and your business is a missionary's field. Your job and your business is a place where we can turn it into holy convocation. Whenever that patient or whenever that client or whenever that coworker wants to start to talk the foolishness of the world, we can make known the wonderful works of God. Amen. When individuals want to all of a sudden come and bring all of their crass and lewd jokes, we can go ahead and take that crass and lewd joke and we can turn it into talking about the wonderful Lamb of God who died for my sins and can take away theirs as well. We should look for every opportunity where the Lord can give us that we can turn the job, we can turn the business, that we can turn even our places of leisure or recreation, that we can turn all of these things into environments where we can make it a place of holy convocation. God understood that this was a principle. And you know why this is so important? Because I want you to see, did you see how we just read and saw that whatever goes on in the mind will ultimately come out in the actions I want you to think about this quote right here. It is a law of nature. It is a law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged and strengthened as we give them utterance. This is why God wanted to guard the speech so well with man. Because he wanted us to understand that what you speak, brothers and sisters, it's it's interesting. Watch how she quotes this here. This is from Ministry of Healing 252. It says... It is a law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged and strengthened as we give them utterance. Watch this. It says, while words express thoughts, it is also true that thoughts follow words. Did you catch that? Do you know, brothers and sisters, that if we understood that our thoughts follow our words, I believe that the cognizant child of God would be more careful about what they talk about. There are so many individuals today, brothers and sisters, that are so loose and so casual in what they talk about. And what we don't understand is that what we speak about, our thoughts will follow. And as a man thinks, so is he in his character. God always understood this divine connection. He wants us to understand it. It says it is also true that thoughts follow words. If we would give more expression to our faith rejoice more in the blessings that we know we have it says the great mercy and love of God we should have more faith and greater joy I remember I was at a uh, a men's ministry meeting and we were at the men's ministry meeting and when we were there we were we were it was about 300 men and we were all there and we were talking about things that men deal with and of course one of the things that came up was the issue of sensuality and sexuality And as they talked about that, one of the gentlemen who was teaching, he asked the question. He said, dear brother, he says, listen, have any of you ever found yourselves praying about some of your vices? And you find yourself mentioning a lot of those things that you're praying about specifically in your vices. Let me give you an example. If someone were struggling with lusting, then they would go ahead and pray and say, Lord, help me to stop lusting. They would just simply say a prayer like that. And he said, how many of you have ever said a prayer like that? You're saying, Lord, help me to stop lusting or help me to stop thinking these wicked thoughts or whatever the case may be. And he says, and when you finished your prayer, he says, you found your mind was perhaps even dwelling on that thing even more. Many of the men said, you know what? That's true. He says, the next time you pray, remember that thoughts follow words. So the next time you're praying for victory over a certain issue, he says, why don't you go before God and pray for the thing you want? Instead of simply asking God to help you overcome the thing that has bound you. Let me give you an example. One man prays and says, Lord, help me to stop lusting. Another man prays and says, Lord, give me pure thoughts. talking about the same thing, but one better understands that thoughts follow words. So therefore, instead of this person saying, Lord, help me to stop lusting, because if you say, Lord, help me to stop lusting, help me to stop thinking wicked thoughts, help me to stop thinking these unrighteous thoughts, then what happens is the mind is hearing lust, wicked, unrighteous, and then the thoughts begin to follow the words. But when the other man comes and he prays and he says, Lord, give me pure thoughts. Lord, give me holy thoughts. Lord, give me thoughts of thy righteousness and thy holiness. What is the mind hearing? Purity, righteousness, holiness. And then the thoughts are fixed on the words and thoughts follow words. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So therefore, when he begins to understand this principle better, he understands, man, my words have great magnitude. And therefore, I should be more careful in how I express even my very thoughts, even my very words. And so it is, brothers and sisters, you'll find that in holy convocation, the goal is to make sure that first and foremost in our speech, that we are to make sure that it is ever seasoned with salt. I want you to see what the Bible says in Titus chapter two, Titus, the second chapter. In Titus, the second chapter, God understood the power of speech. And it was wonderful how in holy convocations, God focused so much on the speech because God understood how the speech leads to the thoughts and the thoughts lead to the actions and the actions repeated is what forms the character. And so it is that I want you to see what Titus, the second chapter says. In Titus chapter 2, God was giving instruction to the young men and to the young women and so on. And when he got to the young men, He was making a point here that I believe every young man and every young woman can follow. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, it says, verse 6, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of what kind of works? Good works. It says in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. It says what kind of speech? Sound speech that cannot be what? Condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that God wants us to exercise sound speech. God wants us to remember that in all of our gatherings, we are to promote, we are to be instruments to turn even a corrupt environment into a holy convocation. And if we can learn to do it here then, brothers and sisters, it becomes easier to do it at the job. It becomes easier to do it at the business. It becomes easier to do it in our leisure time. And it becomes easier to do it, brothers and sisters, in all of the various places that make up human life. But, brothers and sisters, I want to make you aware of something. You see, one of the great reasons we can see right now, do you believe that we're having challenges having Holy Convocation today? Do you believe we're having that problem? Oh, brothers and sisters, I know we are. I know we are. And one of the reasons why is because it's so difficult to keep our minds fixed upon Jesus. It's so difficult to keep our thoughts upon him. It's so difficult to even speak of him. And this is why we constantly come together at meetings like this. And even up until, brothers and sisters, listen to me good. If we understood the principle of holy convocation, there would not have been so much laughter and giddiness that was taking place last night on the Lord's Sabbath day. And I'm serious, brothers and sisters, and I say that not to condemn. Because there perhaps are many individuals who didn't know, but brothers and sisters, if we really understood God's Sabbath, if we really understood God's truth, if we really understood holy convocation and what the Lord was trying to do in our lives, brothers and sisters, we wouldn't have been making all that noise and doing all these things that we were doing last night. God is trying to get us to understand that this is a solemn time that we're living in. This is a time where Jesus says, there's special things that I want to share with you. There are great experiences that I want to bring you in. But the devil is consistently trying to press upon the mind. He's consistently trying to bring up all sorts of stuff that we can talk about. Brothers and sisters, you had six days to talk about all your stuff. Why is it that even on the Sabbath day, we cannot keep focused? God is trying to remind us and say, listen, I'm trying to save you, but you've got to stay focused. It's a cooperation. God is not going to puppeteer us. He's simply going to keep appealing to our hearts, appealing to our hearts and appealing to our hearts and appealing to our hearts. And it's only when that heart finally closes all the valves and no longer can any blood get through that we suffer heart attack. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to suffer cardiac arrest spiritually. He says, I want you to see how I can cause blood to flow if you would simply let me in. But do you want to know what the great reason Here's a real reason why we have so many challenges. You want to know why we have so many challenges trying to have holy convocation? Here's the reason why, brothers and sisters. Listen to this. It says, if we love the things of the world and have pleasure in unrighteousness or fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness... We have put the stumbling block of our iniquity before our face and have set up idols in our heart. It says, And unless by determined effort we put them away, we shall never be acknowledged as the sons and daughters of God. Volume 5 of the Testimonies, 164. We must recognize, Lord, my issue is that I love worldliness, I love the things of this world. I go ahead and I follow many of these things you tell me to do on the Sabbath day, but I'm really not finding joy in it. And therefore, it becomes very difficult to have to have holy convocation because, brothers and sisters, there's something very wrong. You want to know what that wrong thing is? It's true that there are many who love the world and all these things, but you really want to know where the issue lies? Here's where the issue lies. Many of us are trying to have holy convocation, but we forgot this point. Here is a work for families to engage in before coming up to our holy convocations. You see, brothers and sisters, the issue is this. You and I cannot have holy convocation at the public meeting, you and I cannot have holy convocation at the job. You and I cannot have holy convocation at the business location and all these things unless we first learn to have holy convocation in the home. You know, there are husbands and wives today. It blows me away, brothers and sisters. There are husbands and wives today that will not talk to each other, but will talk to everybody else in the sanctuary. And they think they're having holy convocation. There are husbands and wives that will literally hold bitterness, anger, and resentment towards each other. But even if their brother or their sister does something wrong with them, they're more quick to forgive them than they are their own spouses. There are children today that will sooner spend time with all of their buddies and their friends and do all sorts of foolishness, even on the Lord's day, brothers and sisters. But they don't know how to sit with their parents and have worship together. There are parents who will go around telling everybody, let's come together for worship. Let's bow before our God and our maker. And they'll do all of that from the pulpit, but they will not call their children together for worship in the home. We must understand, brothers and sisters, let the preparation for eating and dressing be a secondary matter. But let deep heart searching commence at home. Pray three times a day and like Jacob, be important. At home is the place to find Jesus. So many people are wondering, oh, Brother Lemon, I go to church, but I can't seem to find Jesus. I go here, I go to every special YC that you can think of, and they're saying, you know what? God is saying, you know why? Because it was at home you were supposed to find Jesus. Looking for Christ in all the wrong places. God is a God of order. One of the great reasons why we have so much turmoil in the seven-day Adventist church now is because we're trying to do everything outside of the home. We're, we're great at preaching the gospel. We're great at telling everybody this, that, and the other. But brothers and sisters, what about that gospel, medical, missionary work, evangelistic work that is to take place right inside our homes? This is the issue. This is why holy convocation is so hard. You can't come to church, brothers and sisters, and listen to Christian music, but then go home and listen to worldly music. Brothers and sisters, you're not going to find Jesus like that. You cannot dress like a saint for the service during the divine hour, but then go home and have upon yourself the garments of a harlot. You can't do that, brothers and sisters, because it's at home you've got to find Jesus. You and I, we cannot speak all these beautiful, happy Sabbath, flowery words to each other here, but then we cuss and swear like sailors when we're home because somebody got me mad. It is at home that we must find Jesus. And the great problem, brothers and sisters, is that many of us are not having holy convocation at home. Therefore, it is impossible to have it anyplace else. God is a God of order. And God is trying to say to yours and my heart that if you want to have holy convocation, if you want to go ahead, you must learn to make known my many wonderful works in the home. You must learn to offer praise and thanksgiving in the home. You must learn to unite in the wonderful sacrificial services of that Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, even mine, at home. And when we can learn to do these things in our home circle, do you know how easy it is to have holy convocation at church? Do you know how easy it will be that when you go to your job and everybody tries to bring in foul convocation, we can bring in holy convocation? It will become easier because of these things. It says, at home is the place to find Jesus, then take him with you to the meeting. And how precious will be the hours you spend there. It's one of the reasons why so many of us struggle, brothers and sisters. I'm no fool. There are some people today, especially our young people, they can't wait for the sun to set. You want to know why? So they can take out their balls and their frisbees and talk to their friends about all sorts of things that they couldn't talk about during the Sabbath because they were locked into Sabbath keeping. You think that that's that's what God wants? The Bible tells us that God wants us to have a delight in the Sabbath. You know, I was doing a Bible study earlier this week and we were with a group of us and we were studying the time of Jacob's trouble. And as we were studying the time of Jacob's trouble, we got to a point where we saw that the individuals who would not bend, those who had victory over sin, those who God was working in and working through, and they were going through this final persecution before they were about to see Jesus burst through the clouds. It says that those who were enforcing Sunday sacredness and they were going ahead and passing out the death decree and trying to kill and persecute these people, it says that while they were, while they were pushing the Sunday law upon them and still trying to get them to press, it says their persistent refusal... Enable them to stand. And when we, when we looked at that, I, I, I stopped the class. I said, wait a minute. I said, what do those people have? And the class said they had persistent refusal. And I said, do you think that was something they developed at the time of that crisis? Or was that something they already had? They said, no, 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 they already had it. I said, amen. I said, do you want to make it through that crisis? Yes. I said, brothers and sisters, if you want to make it through that crisis, then you must have persistent refusal now. You must have in your mindset that every time Satan says, talk about something secular and foolish on the Lord's day, you have to persistently refuse that voice. You have to persistently refuse when that brother or that sister, even though they might come in innocence and they may say, man, and they start talking about all this secular stuff. Even on God's Sabbath day, we must love Jesus more than man. And we should be able to softly correct that brother or sister and say, I must persistently refuse what you're bringing. Dear brother, dear sister, let's keep our mind state on Jesus today. We are so concerned about hurting each other, but we forget that sin breaks the heart of Jesus. Who do you love more? Brothers and sisters, I do love you. I believe that with all my heart. I really do. But I must make sure that in my walk with Jesus that I never get to a point that I love you more than I love God. The Bible says in Matthew ten thirty-seven: if any man love father, mother, brother, or sister more than me, he is not worthy of me and he cannot be my disciple. And so it is that we must learn that while we are to love one another, encourage one another, that if we see each other going in a wrong path, we have to lovingly correct and redirect and keep the mind fixed on principles of holy convocation. And this is to take place in the home, volume 5 of the Testimonies 164. And so, brothers and sisters, here is a pledge that we all can make. And in this pledge that we are about to make, I want you to see this. I must grow in grace, where? At home. This is Adventist Home, page 180. Now, in fact, can you read this with me? I must grow in grace at home, and wherever I may be, in order to give moral power to all my actions. At home, I must guard my spirit, my actions, my words. I must give time to personal culture, to training and educating myself in right principles. I must be an example to others. I must meditate upon the word of God night and day and bring it into my practical life. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the only sword which I can safely use. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, if you and I learn to have holy convocation in the home, it will be easier to have holy convocation in the church. And then it will be easier to have holy convocation in the community. And it will be easier to have holy convocation in the world. And this is how we can forsake not the assembling of ourselves, but we can gather together to actually now exhort each other to exhort each other strengthen each other encourage each other keep each other focused and brothers and sisters i'm telling you right now one of the great problems that jesus is having with many of his people is that while he's in his position and his work many of us have forfeited our position and our work because many of us are not having holy convocation there are some of us right now that are at work and we will cuss and swear just like others there are some of us that when we are in places outside of the church environment, sometimes we will go ahead and laugh and make all these lewd jokes and make all of these different things and talk about the foolishness of the world. Do you know that Ephesians 5 tells us that we should avoid foolish talking? We must understand that this, this, these lips that God has given to us is a gift and an instrument upon which this tongue that brings out the words and the voice can either be an instrument for life or for death. And God has called all of us to choose life. And so it is that if you realize today that you have not been having holy convocation, if you can look at every dynamic of your life and you can say, Lord, whether it's in my home, the question is, have you been having holy convocation? If you can look at the church and you can say, you know what, I I realize I'm not having holy convocation. If you can realize even at your job and all your places of leisure, wherever it is that you and I go, if we can realize that we have not been having holy convocation, and you're saying, Lord, I haven't been having Holy Convocation. But now that I better understand it, by your grace and by your power, I choose going forward to let you live out your life within me that I will only speak that which your spirit gives me to speak. I will only say that which your spirit bids me say. I will only do that which your spirit bids me do. And my life will be completely surrendered to you. If that's your desire, brothers and sisters, and you know you haven't been having Holy Convocation, But you're saying, Lord, I recognize it, I confess it, and by your grace today, I will have holy convocation. Then I want you to stand to your feet. You recognize I have not been having holy convocation, Lord. I I realize that there are times that I've allowed myself and my mind to slip. And if you have, brothers and sisters, that's all right. I want to ever remind you that in that most holy place, while there's a judgment going on, I praise God that there's a mercy seat in there. And I can remember times in my life, brothers and sisters, where I found myself not having Holy Convocation as I should have. And I'm so thankful for that mercy seat. But there's a time that justice meets with mercy. Amen. We don't want to wait until that time. And so I pray that you will leave here today. There's much, much more. There's much, much more. We did a series on this whole topic and we, we go much deeper into what Holy Convocation means. But I wanted to at least give you this gem. Because I believe that if we can get this right right here, by the grace of God, we'll get the other things in the by and by. And so as you're standing, know that Christ stands with you. He stands with you. He's going to help you. And when you find yourself getting ready to go off track, make sure that your body is in its most sensitive state because if it is, you will feel the tap of the Holy Spirit on your shoulder saying, remember Holy Convocation. And when that Spirit of God speaks to yours in my heart, brothers and sisters, may we stay focused. We're praying our Father in heaven, We thank you, dear God, for this blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have taught us just one principle. Lord, there's so many principles that we could have applied to Holy Convocation. But I pray, dear Father, that as we gain this one, may it help lead us into the deeper principles. Lord, as we, your people, stand before you, we recognize that we have not been having Holy Convocation. We have allowed the mind to drift. We have allowed the conversations to sway and we did not understand that our thoughts follow our words. And Lord, we pray that today you'll please forgive us even of our sins, even for the things that may have taken place last night, dear God, and we realize that we have violated and profaned even your holy Sabbath day of rest. Lord, may you once again apply that precious blood of Jesus, that it may wash away all of our sins. And may you keep us on that straight and narrow path that leads to life eternal. Thank you so much, dear God, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for that mercy seat. Lord, help us not to take advantage of your mercy, but may we talk of those wonderful mercies even throughout this day. And may we make known your wonderful works. May we offer praise and thanksgiving unto your most holy and precious name. And may we unite in the wonderful services upon which Jesus, that Lamb of God, died that we might live. Help this to be our focus today. And may it preserve us from worldliness and idolatry. And join us closer to you and to one another is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity. Through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.